Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, Brady PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Once again, this time we are talking about episode nine of season three, The Disconnect. And whatever could it mean? What could it possibly mean? Um, I want to jump to the moment where I was screaming at my television, which is later (laughs) on in this episode. Now... I can't even figure out if it was annoyed scream or delighted by the absurdity scream, just that I did, in fact, scream. So part of this episode is that Ryan and Matt have to work on a proposal in like 24 hours for potential investors. Mm-hmm. And Matt's like, we're going to pull an all-nighter, boss. You can count on me. And then he takes Ryan to a strip club. And he immediately goes to the champagne room with this stripper and, like, pays for Ryan to get a lap dance. Right? It's wildly inappropriate in every possible way. Yeah. Um, And then next day, it's time for the meeting with the investors. They are not, like, nearly as prepared or ready as they should be. Investors drop out. Right? Yeah. Sandy shows up at strip club. He's rightfully pissed. He yells at Matt for kind of fucking this up and all the things that he did wrong. Um, And you see a stripper watching Sandy Cohen leave. And then this stripper (laughs) shows up and is like, Matt's a friend from school. I'm going to law school. And also, I was the one who connected him with the investors. So I can fix all of these problems. And I... Couldn't I was like this is this is a bridge too far, Joe. This is officially I I could <laughs> is buy this where up, the is this where the jumping of the shark happens? <laughs> I here's the thing. I could go along with the with the ride until the like I'm the one that connected him with the investors. And I was like, what is this show? <laughs> like it's insane. Matt, if it's- I was in charge of naming this episode. 
Uh, and by by this episode, I mean like this episode of our show of White yeah. People Problems. I would call it Stripper Ex Machina because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you know Stripper comes down. I, I feel bad. I I feel a little. I have to say, maybe it's my like cis male privilege, but I do feel bad that we keep calling her Stripper. We don't know her name. Her well, the name. the show also didn't give us a character name, so unfortunately, yeah. she's just Stripper. She's maybe a she Stripper gets- lawyer. <laughs> Stripper lawyer. Maybe yeah. she gets a name in a future episode. Maybe She's she joins the Esquire. firm. I don't know. Yeah, like it's ridiculous. But yeah, uh, just like like you, just like you said, like like the hand of God. Here she comes into yeah. the office to fix all of their problems. Yeah. Um, so like the magical stripper, I believe, is what Spike yeah. Lee calls them. So basically, he's been like booking the champagne room to like talk the Vent. therapy to to, to yeah. like therapy with this girl which like first of all that's great that your friend wants to give you first of all it's great that your friend wants to give you money and then it's guaranteed that you are going to have like a positive experience in the champagne room right where it's there's no pressure yeah, there's um, no sex in the champagne room. I'm not sure yeah. if you're familiar with that Chris Rock song, but <laughs> um, I've heard of it. I've yeah. never been to a strip club, so I've never been there. I do you remember um, the "Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen" song? Um, where yeah, is that the long... one where it's like wear sunscreen? Yeah, that yeah. Chris Rock did a parody of it called uh, "There's No Sex in the Champagne Room." Um, where he's talking about all the rules in the champagne room. And I, my favorite line was like, now don't get me wrong. There's champagne in the champagne room. <laughs> like, just no sex. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, that's the only thing I know about champagne rooms. Thank you, uh, Chris Rock, for teaching me that important rule. Um, but yeah, no, she's... Look, I don't... The first half of that, like I said, the first half of it, as absurd as it is, I can still buy it. It's definitely the I connected him with those clients line where I'm just like, what is happening? Where is the like, this is so ridiculous. They're clients of mine. That's how we that's how we got them. We we work together. We exchange numbers and portfolios. And yeah. Like, I don't know. That's They slipped like, me imagine... a 20. I slipped them a prospectus. Like, <laughs> Well, that's what I was going to say. How, let's pretend you are a businessman who goes, <laughs> who, goes to this, who goes to this strip club with such frequency that you have a regular champagne room stripper that yes, you use. You have a regular stripper and, in the dream. And she says to you, Oh, one of my other regulars <laughs> does that type of work and would love for you to invest in their business. Are you going to take her up on that offer even one little bit, knowing that you're both just connected by having the same champagne room stripper connection? Like, well, here I I watched Hustlers, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I did too. I saw it so, in theaters, and so you saw Hustlers in theaters? Oh, of course I did. I had um, movie pass back then. Oh God, <laughs> I remember? saw everything in theaters. All right. See, um, I watched Hustlers, and part of me wouldn't be surprised if you know, lawyer stripper was like, "You're going to meet with my friend, or your wife's going to know 
Yeah, that's that true. Been that's doing. true. Like, that's where I thought that was going to go. But no, it's just very reputable, which is just like, this is the epitome of like, Newport Beach, right? Like even the strippers, you can take a corporate meeting. The strippers <laughs> will get you connected. Yeah, you're just having a meeting at the free brunch at the strip club on a Sunday morning or whatever. Like, uh, but that's that's like a very small little subplot, honestly. Now let's talk about the most obnoxious subplot in this episode, which is Seth Cohen just leaning into being one of the absolute most pathetic characters in television history, having a conniption fit that his girlfriend might actually be smart. Maybe even a little bit smarter than him. But the way he's acting, that like, this is the exact same thing that we were complaining about with Summer, where like Seth had this incredible experience where someone was interested in buying a comic book that he created and she could not focus on anything more than like, how does this affect my time with my boyfriend? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now here he is just like trying to prove that she's like an anomaly. Like he says something shitty. Like, well, I heard somewhere that uh, if they took a bunch of third graders and put them in a room that one of them would ace the STTs or SATs by mistake. The STDs. <laughs> yeah, the STDs. The, S- the SATs by mistake. And she's just like, well, not a third grader, and then just walks away. Like, I, as much as Seth annoyed me in this episode, my love for Summer, like, quadrupled this episode. She oh is my God. so... No, 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 no. She's Hold on. so I... laid back and chill this whole time as she's, like, crushing it in the SATs and could not care less about it. Here's, here's the thing, Matt. You believe that Stripper Ex Machina is the like is the most incredulous part of this episode i believe that summer is a genius is the most like (laughs) incredulous part of this episode because it just comes out of again it it comes out of nowhere right like we all know that summer has like and it comes out in this episode that summer has like the kind of emotional and social intelligence that seth doesn't but mm-hmm. the fact that now we add it, no, oh, so she's actually uh, the full package. Yeah, that is okay. Like, that's get fair. out of here with that. And, and I don't mind that because, like, I, I, I don't mind that as much as I mind. Like, I'm less annoyed by that than I am about Seth's response, which is like typical, fragile, masculine. Like, this is the reason why in rewatches of the show, and this is how you know that, like, I know that I've grown, is that Seth's response to this is really poor. Oh, terrible. It's, it's really, terrible really response. poor. Because it's, it, no matter how you slice it, if you're not going to be open in the first place about what it's making you feel, your response to it, and it does come out in the episode, and his response is entirely, like awful and just like it, it makes it feel like a competition and i was like they're like dude summer resigned herself to the fact that like she was just gonna you know stay in california and all of this like she didn't she now has something more for herself yes but the fact that like now we're just like oh summer's a genius like summer's the full package now look over here it's i don't know if you've started to notice this but 
I, I think we talked about it in a in a recent previous episode, but like this whole thing where you can see the seeds planting because maybe they've now figured that Marissa's gonna die, right? <laughs> yeah, they're they're like trying to get the next place in this very bizarre version of a storytelling option mm-hmm. that they've created. Like yeah. it's I mean Let's say what it's so. This is the weird thing is that I almost wish that I had been doing the star rating thing since the beginning because my I feel like my stars don't reflect the quality of this season at all. This was actually an episode that I ended up being like, Yeah, you know what? This was like a harmless, easy watch, three stars. But I don't know if it's getting three stars because I am an I'm enjoying these episodes or I've just accept it that this show is bad and I'm not being as invested. So like as long as no one's getting hit by a car or gunshots are going off, I'm just like, Oh, what an easy breezy episode of the OC. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like there was no large screaming fight that happened in this episode. So uh, my anxiety wasn't through the roof. So it's a, it's a five out of five perfect episode because I've just been beaten down by all of the episodes before it. Um, let's, let's pause on the summer and Seth thing. Mm-hmm. I think we need to very quickly talk about the Kirsten Julie subplot in this episode where they're trying to come up with their business you mean idea. The useless subplot. We didn't the need it. U- we didn't a C, We didn't need a C story. This is a D story, Joe. There are four plots. What? This is a D story. Yeah. Think about it because it's, you've got. The A story is Johnny Marissa. The yeah. B story is Ryan, Matt, and Sandy Strip Club. The oh, C, C story, story, yes, Seth and Summer. And then the D story is the five minutes we get of Julie and Kirsten trying to come up with what their business is going to be. And like Kirsten opens it up with a pretty easy idea. Hey, we should open up a bookstore. There's no bookstore at Newport Beach. To which Julie throws down her idea of nude maids, which like chaos. Then we get this dumb concept of they're like, oh, we're going to be caterers or whatever. Like Kirsten's gone from the person whose biggest culinary experience is ordering out really well, is now so good at cooking post rehab that they can open a catering company. And this guy's like, hey, I've got a private event happening, $5,000 for you two to cater it. And then they show up and no one's there and he's pulling some creepy bullshit of like, I'm still going to pay you $5,000, but I just want a night alone with Julie Cooper. To which she's like, yeah, I wasn't interested. Like, she goes on the date, and then afterwards, there's nothing to talk about. And that's when Kirsten, it's insane that Kirsten's the one that pitches this. It's like, we can run a high-end dating service. That's called prostitution, Kirsten. And if this subplot doesn't end with her getting arrested for prostitution or soliciting, I don't know what will because you can't charge people $5,000 for a date and people not to expect that sex is somewhere on the ticket that they're paying for. Well, you can. You can. In the state of California, I believe you can do that in the sense that like, uh, what the the thing that you have paid them for is their time 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then whatever happens, happens between them. I mean, like, that's the, it, this is the gray area, right? Like, yeah. lawyer stripper would tell you that <laughs> this is the kind of <laughs> advice lawyer stripper gives you. You know what? That's the spinoff that I would have watched the shit out of. If, like, when the OC went away, they're like, you know, because the spinoffs are never on, like, one of the main cast members. It's like this character that showed up for one episode. And it's like, I wonder what their life's like. I would watch Lawyer Stripper, like lawyer by day, stripper by night, solving most of her cases through conversations with her regulars. <laughs> like, Joe, let's get on it. We could sell this. We could sell this to CBS. It would right be now. like Lawyer Stripper, Matt, and then Chili, right? Like Chili's mm-hmm. the intern. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta find like, <laughs> like she she's still having to strip a little bit, but. You know, we're keeping it secret from the rest of the firm. Yeah. But now but now she's not doing it for the money. She's doing it for the kicks. She just enjoys it. <laughs> like mm-hmm. and there ain't nothing wrong with that. That's what I want to stress. But yeah, that the Julie Kirsten subplot worthless. Now let's get into what is like the real meat and potatoes of this episode, which is the Johnny and Marissa thing. And like here's my biggest thing that I took away from this is like i still think johnny is a solid dude right like johnny first of all i love that johnny's kind of ashamed of his normal human house because all these people live in fucking mansions yeah um but i love him pulling summer to the side and is essentially just like you need to get marissa to stop helping me because i know that i have feelings for her And I don't want those to blossom into something else. I don't want to say anything that will get any of us in trouble. Like, it is actually a very respectful... Because we've all... I think that every one of us, at some point in our lives, has gotten a crush on a friend's partner in some way, shape, or form. And we just know, all right, I need to, like, pull myself away a little bit. Or I need to work internally on what these feelings mean but i am certainly not going to put these into action at all and he is trying his absolute best to be a good respectable person about these emotions because not only does he like marissa he likes ryan like he Mm -hmm. doesn't want to hurt ryan in that way either so yeah i love that um i feel like the show through the music cue really tries to make Marissa and Johnny falling asleep on the couch together seem so much more intimate than it mm-hmm. actually is. Cause like, again, who among us has not fallen asleep next to a friend while watching something on the couch? Like, yeah. And it'd be like not sexual in the slightest. It's just like, Oh my God, I want to finish this movie or I want to finish what we're watching or my ride isn't here with Marissa. It's I mean, it's, it's Ryan's fault. Ryan doesn't show up yeah, be- because, He's stuck at a strip club. But then I also wrote down, and maybe this is me looking at the privilege of all of these other characters. Marissa, Summer, nor the Coens, none of them can pony up some money to give Johnny a live-in nurse or something to help him out. It has to just be Marissa there before and after school every day. It always has to be Marissa. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, so, like, that was getting me so annoyed because i'm like you guys have so much money that you throw away at so much stupid shit and just paying for like someone to show up when his mom's at work for a couple hours would be nothing like it would be pennies to the dollar in comparison to what you spend on like a daily trip to some nonsense place um 
then I wrote down this line that I laughed at so hard when I thought of it. So Johnny slips and falls and twist retwists his ankle. Mm-hmm. And Marissa gives him some drugs. And I guess she gave him a little too much because he's he's a little bit looser with his with his thoughts and his feelings. And he says, You're making this hard. And she says, Making what hard? And I wrote, My dick. (laughs) 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 Which I so, I was like, Please say it. Please say it, Johnny. Do it. Yeah. Uh, My dick. My dick. Um, But yeah, he admits that he has feelings for her. And and I like that he's like, I don't want you to tell me anything. I'm just saying it. Uh, That's it. And then. I actually think the ending of this episode, similarly to how I talked about the ending of the episode where Ryan beats the shit out of a punching bag, is like their relationship has never been healthier than them having this phone conversation where Ryan is freely mentioning that he was stuck at a strip club and she's not freaking out about it. And she's telling him what happened with Johnny and he's not freaking out about it. Like it is, it is the most normal trusting respectable open relationship that they've uh, like open to each other relationship that they've had this entire show honestly because could you imagine season one how ryan would react if one of marissa's friends from school had had told her he had feelings for or vice versa if ryan had told marissa that he spent a night in a strip club like Mm -hmm. it would have been immediate fireworks and then we'd have like a five-part episode of them trying to get back together after the breakup blow up. You know what I mean? Like, I actually think that their relationship has matured quite a bit. Um, Now for how long, who knows? I mean, (laughs) this, this doesn't mean that neither one of these things won't be pulled out of someone's back pocket later on in an episode as like, uh, as, as ammo. But uh, the only thing I missed was that there is a very funny runner in this episode where anytime that it's brought up how smart Summer is, the the pinnacle of her intelligence is, well, she did save Chris McCullough, which uh, is both funny and preparing the audience for next week's episode, which is, of course, the third Chris McCullough episode. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 91 Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers? Listen to 91 Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at 91donkeylane.com. See you there, you donkeys. So, Joe, did you hate this? Is this one of your least favorite episodes? Like I said, I throw this a generous no. three stars for it not stressing me out, but it's it's kind of a dog shit episode. No, it's it's dog shit. It has too many plots. It's it's where we're starting to like pivot the characters' motivations about shit. Like mm-hmm. there, I, I at the risk of revealing something in season four, a couple episodes ago, something happened where I was like. 
oh, that's where this concept is introduced because then it becomes a much bigger deal in season four. Gotcha. Um, but again, it's like the little crumbs that whether or not they, I'm curious if at this point they knew that Marissa wasn't going to come back. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And that's like one of those things where I guess they'll never say when was the exact moment they knew and started making decisions. Mm-hmm. But, um, it definitely feels like, as we've said, the last couple episodes, they already know that it's like a 50-50 chance. Yeah. Just based on everything that's happening. They're like, ah, she might not come back. So we got to we gotta have a plan in place if that ends up being the case. Yeah. Um, but, you know, all in all, I, do, I still think that season three is the worst, but I don't think that this episode is the worst. This isn't even the worst episode in season three so far. Like, this is such yeah. a middle of the ground, like middle of the pack forgettable episode i will never oh well i can't say i'll never forget this about this episode because like i said i was screaming at my television when she said they're my clients like that was i was like what is happening um but you know what joe sometimes these mediocre episodes also have the most extensive musical soundtracks and boy did they spend money i mean they were in a strip club right yeah so there's like five strip club songs at least but so we get the 88s with Hard to Be You uh, as the opening song. A group called Fine China with their song My Own uh, My Worst Nightmare plays when Summer and Seth are talking about college prospects. When Matt and Ryan enter the strip club, Clients Come On is playing. Billy Squire's The Stroke is playing when Ryan gets his lap dance. Mm-hmm. Invisible Man's Make It Bounce plays as Ryan calls Marissa, but she already fell asleep. Nikki Costa's On and On plays when Sandy finds Matt at the strip club. And the Shout Out Loud's Go Sadness plays at the end of the episode. Um, Joe, I feel like you're exactly like me. The second The Stroke played, you're like, well, this is it. Like, this is the song of the episode. Also, like, the f- I- I- I've always... I've seen it a couple times with like stripper montages to have the stroke in it. And it doesn't make sense to me. Like, I don't like the stroke is so like on the nose for yeah. on the nose camp for like a stripper song. Right. It, uh, it, but, but you it's, know, what, it's you, so know good. You, realize, you realize crazy bitch right now is the number one like strip club song. Like everything's about on the nose if you're in a strip club. I imagine. Wait, crazy bitch. What song? Oh. Crazy bitch by Buckcherry. Hey, y'all crazy bitch, but you fuck so good. I'm on top of it when I scream. Have you never heard the song? Crazy no, bitch? what is this? Oh, this was like a top radio rock song in like the 2010s. It's literally when you hear a song and you go, well, that song was written to be part of a strip club. Like it is the most this song was written oh. to be a strip club song, strip club song you've ever heard. Uh, I wanted to give a weird shout out because the group Fine China I recognized the name, and I I was like, I think I know why I know this name. They were a former Tooth & Nail Records band, which was like the top Christian punk record label of the 2000s. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if they still... So Tooth & Nail is kind of weird in the sense that the owner of the label was religious, didn't want to run a religious label, but would sign a lot of religious bands and thus became known as a religious label. So there's definitely a handful of bands that have absolutely no religious ties whatsoever who just happen mm-hmm. to like do a couple albums on there. And it's yeah. kind of hard to tell them apart because one of his only rules was like, don't curse on your albums on my 
label, basically. So I don't know what the story is with Flying China, but their Wikipedia just calls them an alternative rock band. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm going to say that even if they were, they aren't anymore. Uh, and, you know, Tooth & Nail Records was a huge part of my pop culture history. And the OC was a huge part of a lot of other people's pop culture history. So I think it's time for us to talk about some of the pop culture stuff that we've been popping into over the last couple weeks. And I've got a very quick one. I read a delightful uh, graphic novel that had won a couple... uh, I think it won like a few awards. I can't remember off the top of my head now what any of them were. But it's one of those books where it even has like the little seal in the corner saying like this is an award-winning book called El Defo by Cece Bell. Um, And it's written by an actual deaf woman about her experiences being deaf in the 50s as a little girl. And... It's pretty interesting. All of the characters are rabbits, which she said was intentional because she's like, rabbits are known for their great hearing. So I thought that a rabbit who was deaf just made it extra sad and ironic and traumatic. Um, And it just is about this little girl trying to make friends who like her for who she is. And it's very sugary sweet. And I, I mean, I knocked out the whole, it's probably like a 300 page graphic novel. Uh, I knocked it out in two nights uh, just because I couldn't put it down. I was so enticed to see what happens next with the character and, you know, that hopefulness of like, I hope this all turns out all right. Like you, you assume it will, but you never, there's no guarantees in life. Um, (laughs) So, so uh, that's my big recommend. But how about you, Joe? What have you been diving into? For whatever reason, I'm like revisiting a lot of like formative gay, um, gay film television like i just feel i i don't know what it is about the cold and the winter but it's it's making me um you know ruminate a little bit on the culture that made me say queerness was for me and so um the one i want to talk about right now is uh looking which was on at the time was on hbo as an hbo original series um i saw this article for that GQ released recently was it GQ it was maybe it was one of the gay magazines that GQ that they picked up a GQ story but essentially it was like you know 10 years of the cult classic looking and looking was a show that um, basically wanted to do for gay men in San Francisco what girls did for girls living in New York City um, it's about a very tight-knit group of friends living in San Francisco this came out in 2014. And the article goes on to talk about, like, you know, the staying power of a show that only did two seasons and um, and then they closed everything. Once they were canceled, they did put a cap on everything with like a 90 minute movie. Okay. And it, it was just like, it's so interesting because like. I am like at that time in my life. And again, this is related to this show. Uh, to the show that we're doing right now, like at the time in my life in 2014, like I had no, like I really didn't have queer friends except for Joshua. And like, I was still kind of yearning for some, for like deeper queer community. And even then like Joshua and I weren't as close as we are now. Like we were just, I was just starting to get into podcasting. We hadn't even talked about it yet, but we weren't as close as we were now. And I don't, didn't have really many, like if any, like gay friends and so seeing looking was just like this aspirational wish fulfillment show 
of just like gay people living their gay lives and doing the gay things. And I just remember thinking like, wow, I really resonate with this. Yeah. Ten years later, looking back on it now and the, you know, I'm, <laughs> I work for a queer nonprofit. Like my life is very gay, save for like you, Matt, <laughs> and a couple of other straight people. <laughs> but <laughs> it's so interesting to like see. I, I, I haven't watched the show. I feel like I haven't. I feel like maybe I watched it in like COVID time, but like didn't really pay attention. And now that I'm like really paying attention, I'm in this like space of. January is always a very reflective time. And so feeling because of that, looking at the show, I just feel like, wow, there's so much that still is good, like still resonates in things that like I've taken unknowingly and learned from the show that has like helped me inform me like how um, I've lived over the last few years, the last decade. But in other ways, like it's also cringe and just like seeing how, oh, I identified with the main character so much, but he's like so needy, <laughs> he's yeah. so cringe and needy. And I'm like, oh no, where did that come from? So it's just been nice to like have those moments where like, oh, this, and then I'm doing this bit. I have a group chat with some gay friends where um, every time I see like an actor that's like has like a bit part in the show, but they're like now kind of a sort of famous gay actor or like, you know, maybe like a C-list, D-list gay actor. I just text the name of them. I just text the name to people because I'm like, there's a there's actually a lot of them. And this show did a really good job of trying to hire as many queer actors as possible. Um, it's so good. Scott Bakula's in it as like this 60-year-old daddy. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying Perfect. to... I'm trying to make Matt love it. Um, I'm sure I'll check. Listen, I will check out damn near anything. I've just set up the impossible task of trying to watch all 40 something seasons of Survivor, and I'm still only on season two. So my 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 backlog is all all backed up right now with uh, junk. Um, mm -hmm. But I'll, I'll make sure that that's something I check out. That sounds like something I would probably enjoy. And it's only two seasons. So like it's only two seasons and a ninety minute movie, and each episode is thirty minutes. So yeah, see that's it's, a it's really it's good. A little if you do check one. out looking, please let me know, and like I would love you. I mean, maybe that you season would be the first person you'd know, you'd hear from. What did you think in that season six or five or six of white people problems? I mean, I, I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of white people, and they got a lot of problems. <laughs> <laughs> There's white uh, people in the show, and they got a lot of problems. In fact, what we were—I was commenting it with a friend who was living in San Francisco around the time that Looking was being filmed there, and he was like, "It's so weird that like there are no, like there are no Asian, gay Asian male characters in <laughs> in in a show that takes place in San Francisco." <laughs> yeah, at that now time, listen. and I was like, "Yeah, because racism, and you know." Well, that listen, that's why we do this damn show, right? Because white people mm -hmm. problems matter just as much as everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> and when are there going to be storytellers telling our story as, or my story as a white person with problems? Uh, stay tuned. Stay, stay tuned. Don't end we'll... on that. <laughs> I'm obviously joking. Um, but what I'm not joking about is next week when we come back for more White People Problems.
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 